if you have faith and confidence and belief and passion in yourself, in your product, in your brand, and that gives people the faith to trust you, to give you a chance. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast, and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you've ever thought of hosting your own show, then I've now put together a bunch of different options for you. Whether you are a solopreneur or a big brand and you both want to have your own podcast, I've now got a course called Ultimate Podcast Mastery. I've got coaching programs, Alex's Inner Circle, and I've got an agency, Podpreneur, that creates done-for-you podcasts. So if you'd like to create, launch, and grow your own show with no experience, no knowledge, and no tech skills, then simply go to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. That's ultimatepodcastmastery.com. Without further ado, I'm going to hand over to uh, Karen, Lord Billamoria, and I'll, I'll let you say a few words. Thank you, Alex. Great to see you. Great to be with all of you. And uh, what a time to be celebrating Global Entrepreneurship Week. And I spoke at the launch of the week this morning. I remember going back many years when I spoke at the same event in 2007 when Gordon Brown was prime minister. And what a different time that was. That was boom time. Um, and of course, straight off that, we had the credit uh, crunch, and then we had the global financial crisis, then we had the Great Recession, and then we had the Eurozone crisis, and um, a long period of recovery from what was a huge economic shock around the world. And you look back to just the beginning of this year and how we as an economy were absolutely fine. We were growing, not, not a lot, we were growing. And suddenly this black swan event comes from nowhere and took me back to the time when I started Cobra Beer. And I had the idea for Cobra when I was a student. I, 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 was, uh, I graduated from uh, university in India when I was 19 years old. I was lucky I skipped a couple of years. And I came to the UK, studied, qualified as a chartered accountant with what is today EY, did a law degree at Cambridge. And it was while I was at university here that I came up with the idea for Cobra Beer. Like most business ideas, it was um, a very simple, big idea. I, I was dissatisfied with the product or service, and I thought I could do it differently and better. I hated fizzy lagers. I loved ale. I couldn't drink ale with food. I loved drinking ale on its own in a pub. And I thought, well, how can I produce a beer that combines the smoothness of an ale and the refreshment of a lager and then 
It's rounded, easy to drink and balanced. A beer that would have a globally appealing taste. So that was my idea. Of course, having an idea is one thing, putting it into action is another thing. And I teamed up with a childhood friend of mine from Hyderabad in India. And our families had known each other for four generations. And we started Cobra from scratch. We started Cobra from scratch in the summer of 1990. The summer of 1990 was in the middle of a terrible recession. At that time, each recession is very different. And that recession, interest rates have gone up to 15%. And even at that extortionate rate of base rate, you couldn't borrow. It was difficult to borrow money. So it's tough. It's tough in a recession, but it didn't stop us from starting our business. And I actually said that you will see many businesses starting at a time like this when people will say, but their business is closing down. There are also businesses starting up. And to put your big idea into action, of course, you need luck. And uh, the best definition of luck is one that I've heard in a, the Harvard Business School classroom. Luck is when Determination meets opportunity. If you're not determined, you won't even see the opportunity. And we had a lucky introduction to the biggest independent brewery in India, Mysore Breweries in Bangalore. And we went there. I went with a whole lot of sample bottles of beer, sat down in the laboratory with the brewmaster, Dr. Karepa, and we created the recipe for Cobra beer just by conveying to him what this taste I had in my mind of an extra smooth, less gassy beer that would accompany all food. And it's a very complex recipe. He said, we'll need it to be complex. We need lots of ingredients. We've got malted barley, yeast, water, and hops. And that's what a basic German beer has. In fact, Germany, that's all you're allowed to use according to their regulations. Um, but in our case, to get this taste, we had to have a very, very complex recipe. So we have three varieties of hops, uh, in addition to malt, malted barley, in addition to the yeast, in addition to the water, we have maize, we have rice, we have wheat, and a very complex way of making it, let alone the ingredients. And that's what gives Cobra its extra smooth taste. And then you have this great product, you have this great idea, you've got to put it into action in terms of selling it. And there's no shortcut to selling. Selling means going door to door, winning those customers against all the odds. And of course, when we started, Kingfisher had already been in the marketplace for over eight years, the biggest Indian beer brand in India. And they were brewing in the UK. They had thousands of restaurants already selling Kingfisher draft. Carlsberg, one of the biggest beer brands in the world, was in almost every Indian restaurant as well. So you'd walk into a restaurant and say, why do we need you? We don't need another Indian beer. We've already got Kingfisher. We don't need another beer. We've already got Carlsberg. And some of them had a, a well-known German beer at that time. And that's when you've got to convert this no into a yes. And, uh, and you've got to convert obstacles into opportunities. And we only had the big bottle of Cobra um, as our one single SKU. Uh, because the brewery said that's all we produce. In India, even now, if you go to India... Um, almost 90% of beer sold in India is in that double size 650ml bottle over here, 660ml or 620ml double size bottle of beer. And they said, if you survive in a year's time, we don't think you're going to survive because you're up against all the odds. We'll produce small bottles for you. But for now, you have to just sell those big bottles. And of course, the restaurant says, A, don't want your beer. B, our beer was more expensive. And C, 
there was this double-sized bottle that they were not used to. They were used to draft beer or small bottles. And we converted that obstacle into an opportunity where we said, this is how beer is sold in India. It's the authentic way of selling beer in India. And you can serve it to your customers at a restaurant table in an Indian restaurant where customers share the food and they can share the beer. And, you leave, and the waiters can leave the bottles on the table, which means the waiters are freed up to do other, other work. And it takes the weight off the waiters. And then people, by sharing, as long as they're drinking responsibly, because the beer is smooth and goes well with food, you'll sell more beer. And then the other aspect of it is people at other tables will say, what are they drinking? It looks like a bottle of wine. It's not a bottle of wine. It's a bottle of beer. I'll try one. And it spreads like wildfire around the restaurant. And that's how we built Cobra. And the big bottle took off. We got almost 100%, literally 99% reorders from day one. When you get those reorders, that gives you the confidence uh, to extrapolate this into a global beer brand. Because my mission from the beginning was to brew the finest ever Indian beer and make it a global beer brand. And that is still my mission to this day. And once you get those reorders, that confidence, and you keep going. Now, the restaurants were fantastic. I will never, ever forget one of my fundamental lessons that I learned from the restaurateurs. And the Indian restaurants, curry restaurants, are our base, our foundation, and and they will always be our base, and I'll always be grateful to them. They said in the beginning, you think this beer is so good, leave a couple of bottles. We'll test it with our regular customers. If our regular customers like it, we'll put in an order. And if our wider customers like it, we will reorder. And they put their customers first. So any decision that I've made on my journey, any crucial fundamental decision, I will never do it without checking it with my consumer, with my customer. And then we grew Cobra, the restaurants, eventually into supermarkets, and then uh, into the pubs, bars, and from Indian restaurants, we now sold in Lebanese, Thai, Chinese, Turkish, gastropubs, casual dining pubs, and of course, hotels, um, and exported to about 40 countries around the world. And we brew Cobra here in the UK with my joint venture partners, Molson Coors, one of the largest brewers in the world, and the biggest brewery in Britain and Burton upon Trent. Um, and we also brew uh, our Cobra Zero non-alcoholic beer in Holland, and we brew our King Cobra, double fermented beer, in a champagne bottle in Belgium. And we have uh, three breweries in India, along with my joint venture partner, Wilson Coors. And we brew our Malabar um, Blonde India Pale Ale IPA at Burtonwood Breweries in the Northwest near Warrington. So the range increased over the years. The SKUs increased over the years from big bottles to small bottles to cans to draft. But to this day, our number one selling SKU is that big bottle of Cobra, and it was the first mover. And now, of course, you will see all the major beer brands have the big bottle beer, and we were the first movers in that category from an unknown brand coming from nowhere. So you have all the odds stacked against you. You cross that credibility gap in the early years. In the early years, when you have zero credibility, nobody knows you, nobody knows your brand, nobody knows your product. Why do people supply you, finance you, buy from you when you have zero credibility? And they do that in those early days. If you have faith and confidence and belief and passion in yourself, in your product, in your brand, and that gives people the faith to trust you, to give you a chance. And in the early days, I remember meeting a very successful entrepreneur, and he told us some things which I'll never forget, sitting at his kitchen table in Leeds, and he, one of the things he said, 
entrepreneurs have one word that sets them apart from other people, and that is that they have guts. They have the guts to do it in the first place. A lot of people have business ideas, by the way. Um, I've got an armchair behind there. You know, I call them armchair idea wallers. You know, can you get off that armchair and go and put it into action, give up whatever other opportunities you have? My friends, when I started Cobra Beer, were working for the Goldman Sachs of this world, driving around in their BMWs. I gave up that opportunity as a qualified chartered accountant, a Cambridge Law graduate, to drive a 295-pound Citroen de Chevaux called Albert, battered, bright green. You could see the road if you look down through the holes in the floor of the car, it needed push-starting every day. And eventually, sadly, Albert failed its MOT three times. So you're giving up that opportunity and you're taking that risk. That takes guts. But he said what is even more so is entrepreneurs have the guts to stick with it when others would give up. And I've nearly lost my business three times in my career. And it's horrible. Um, more often than not, it comes from nowhere. And it's getting through that and having that resilience to keep going. And especially look at this year, the resilience that we've needed as businesses to not just survive, but to keep going. In my case, um, this pandemic comes from nowhere. We're doing really well as business. And in March, March 23rd, lockdown. And two thirds of our sales, which are the 7,000 restaurants that we supply in this country, the other ones hurt to the supermarkets and the off-trade. So two-thirds of your sales are just shut down. It's an awful position to be in. And how do you survive? How do you keep going? And we survived then our factory, the brewery, because of shielding and looking after the workforce, we were reduced to just one SKU of Cobra, no draft, no cans, no small, small bottles, just the big bottle of Cobra. So we'd almost gone back 30 years when we started, when we only had that one SKU. Well, from the 23rd of March to the 4th of July, we only had the big bottle of Cobra in the supermarkets. That's all we had to survive on. And even in that situation, you try and do your best. Even in that situation, when businesses are down on their knees, you can put back into the community. And we started the Cobra Foundation in 2005. And something we're very proud of that we continually put back and support charitable events. We've given away millions of pounds of free beer for fundraising events. Um, and so we've got a bottled water called Baloo, the Cobra Foundation Baloo Water, where we give 100% of the profits we make from that water to water aid to save lives for clean, through clean water and sanitation in South Asia. And we raise hundreds of thousands of pounds just to selling that water, making zero profit on it. And here's an opportunity in the middle of a crisis when we're down on our knees, when our over two thirds of our sales are just shut down. We teamed up with the British Asian Trust, Prince Charles's charity for South Asia. And we had the big curry night in, 10 nights in in May, where we encouraged the British public to have a curry at home whether they cooked it, whether it was a takeaway from a supermarket or some of the restaurants were doing takeaways and donating money for COVID victims in South Asia. And we raised over 50,000 pounds just doing that with hundreds of restaurants helping out, even when those restaurants were really suffering and consumers, even though they were suffering, helping out people in South Asia. And that's the beauty of it is that you can still, it's not just what you do, but how you do it. 
And it's not just being the best in the world, but being the best for the world. And you fast forward to the uh, amazing, amazing Eat Out to Help Out scheme that the Chancellor, an innovative scheme, when we the, the economy started to open up, we squashed the curve of the virus, and we were then trying to encourage people to have the confidence to go back to work and to go and to go out to restaurants and bars that had suffered so much. And the Chancellor scheme was a huge success. We were 100 million meals on that basis. And when that finished at the end of August, we at Cobra Beer, again, you've got to be proactive. We took the initiative and we teamed up with hundreds of restaurants. Over 500 restaurants took part in the Cobra Beer Eat Out to Help Out extension, where we, along with the restaurants, funded up in, in, in many ways an even more attractive than the government uh, scheme. And that was a great success. So again, there you are. You've just suffered. You have a horrible pandemic, but you carry on being innovative. And it's all about non-stop, restless innovation. And now we've had another shutdown. We were trying to avoid this. At the Confederation of British Industry and CDI, we, we recommended to the government a tiered system to avoid a national lockdown. The government implemented the tiered system. It seemed to be working. And then we had the second wave hit us. We've had a lockdown, which we're suffering at the moment. We're in the midst of it. And in the midst of this lockdown, just now, last week, Cobra Beer has launched our Cobra Sony TV, The Chef, virtual cookbook, the first virtual cookbook of its kind, with 25 recipes from 25 of the most famous chefs in the world, 25 restaurants and different cuisines from Thai to Lebanese to Turkish to Indians to British. And that you can do in the middle of a pandemic is come up with an innovative idea like that. So nonstop innovation is absolutely key. So before I conclude, um, I, I just thought I would share my, my P's, P's of building a business. I call them my 10 P's of building a business. First, you've got to have a great product. And we've got a fantastic product I'm really proud of. We've won 121 uh, gold medals. Uh, please forgive me for boasting. At, at Harvard Business School, I remember once they said, you can be confident, but not arrogant. And you've got to be um, ambitious, but humble. You've got to be ambitious. Ambitiously, I say. 121 gold medals, we're one of the best beers in the world. Second thing, you've got to have a product at the right price. And ours is an expensive because it's a premium product. You get what you pay for. You can have a value for money product. The next is its place. It's got to be available. And I've spoken about where Cobra Beer is available, whether it's the restaurants, or supermarkets, cash and carries, bars, etc. The, the fourth one is promotion. You've got to promote your product. When we started, I could, couldn't even afford a branded beer glass. We only had a flimsy table tent card and green and black printing. I couldn't afford color printing. That was our only item of marketing. And you fast forward to today, we're a household name and we have a whole range of marketing that we've had over the years, from traditional advertising to social media to point of sale to you name it, and public relations uh, and integrated media. So those are your classic four P's of marketing for those of you who studied marketing. My extra P's, I'm a proud manufacturer. I chair the Manufacturing Commission. British manufacturing is best of the best in the world. And yet, even though I'm a manufacturer, whatever business you're in, whether it's B2B or B2C, or services or manufacturing, people are the most important thing. And throughout this crisis, 
the most important, important thing is putting people first. People will remember after this crisis the companies that looked after their people. And people will remember the companies that didn't. So people always. The next P is finance, spelled P-H. You can't do anything without the money. And uh, that's a whole different story about raising money for a growing business when you have no security given in our case, zero security. And of course, our most valuable asset is Global Beer brand. The next thing is passion. Follow your passion, not your pension. You've got to love what you do. Otherwise, there's no point doing it. Next thing is partnership. Have an attitude of partnership when you grow your business. It's, it's not your supplier and your customer and us and them. Everyone you deal with, all your stakeholders, become your partners. Your suppliers, your customers, your advertising agency, your accountants, your lawyers, your PR agents, everyone, your shareholders, your investors, they're all your partners. And that is so much more powerful if you have that approach. The next P is principles. It is better to fail doing the right thing than to succeed doing the wrong thing. And the final P is profits. There's no point doing all of this unless you're successful and you deliver the bottom line. You may have to make losses in the initial days, but at some stage, you've got to make a profit. And finally, I want to say brands. Brands are really, really important. Again, whether you're B2C or B2B, whatever business you're in, whatever institution you're in, whether you're a university or whether you're a country, it's the brand. And our most valuable asset is the Cobra State brand. And when Wilson Coors merged with us, they said, you have an extraordinary brand. And I took it as a compliment. I said, thank you very much. I said, no, no, yes, you can take it as a compliment, but we categorize an extraordinary brand as telling an undeniable brand truth. And in our case, our undeniable brand truth is our extra smooth, less gassy taste that makes us brood smooth for all food. The next thing they said is an extraordinary brand never cuts corners and compromises on its principles. And I hope that's come through in what I've been talking to you about in these few minutes. The third thing is an extraordinary brand has an iconic and recognizable look. So you should all be able to close your eyes and picture a bottle of beer or the Cobra Beer logo or label and the yellow colors, the green, the iconic look. The fourth thing is an extraordinary brand has to deliver a relevant and consistent experience. So there's no point being a, a one-day wonder. Can you, in our case, produce hundreds of millions of pints or bottles of beer and they're all exactly as good as the last one and exactly as consistent and taste exactly the same, although you're using a natural process with natural ingredients and you still have to have it absolutely consistent. It's a challenge. It's not easy, but you've got to be able to do it. The fifth thing is extraordinary brands build extraordinary loyal brand champions. And to me, in many ways, this is the most important one because this is when people love your product so much. When the early days, we couldn't afford advertising, but we built up Cobra through word of mouth. People discovered it. We almost have built up a cult following of our brand. Everybody knows Cobra. Everyone loves Cobra, wherever they live, whatever they do, whatever age they are. And to build up that loyal champions, those champions, they're disappointed if it's not available. They're disappointed if it's out of stock. They will seek out your product. And if you 
done that, you've cracked it. And finally, extraordinary brands deliver extraordinary profits. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Karen. Um, how do you maintain that consistency um, of product, given that you said like three times you've nearly lost your business, we've been in a pandemic. How do you maintain that, that quality, that consistency uh, when distribution channels are pushed, manufacturing is, is pushed, um, staff is, is, is clearly um, being pushed as well? Um, for you, for, for those who are starting out, you know, I can see we've got a whole bunch of drinks brands watching today um, from the founders here. For you, what kind of keys could you say that people need to look out for to maintain that? You've got to have the mentality of, of being um, a perfectionist. I'm, I'm always, always um, trying to perfect the product. Uh, and, and you've got to be on top of it. Uh, every, every, every management meeting that we have, we don't just, we've got one coming up now, uh, tomorrow. We don't just look at our figures. We don't just look at the marketing plans. Um, we don't look at all the sales channels and the individual salespeople's performances. We also look at um, our analysis of our brewing. And we get every, every brewer's plotted mm -hmm. with parameters. So I'm watching it all the time to make sure that it's, and I mean, I'm talking about detailed parameters that we will look at to make sure that we are being consistent and the quality is absolute tops. Every year we will enter awards to make sure we win those gold medals. And if we ever drop, I'm absolutely furious. So how can we, got to, we've got to get those gold medals. We can't mm. not get them. So we've got to improve. So it's, it's always got to be striving for, for perfection and having very high standards and, and no compromise on that at all. And, and then linked to that is the ability to be uh, adaptable and flexible. So mm -hmm. look at this pandemic. So on the one hand, you have to shut down on the 23rd of March, but you've got to be reliant on just one SKU. So you, you do your best there. And then when you start to open up on the 4th of July, it's not with uncertainty and ambiguity all the time, not knowing how long it's going to last, is it going to be opening properly or forever or short, temporary. And you have to bring all your product, all the, all, everything back online as quickly as you can. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be adaptable, uh, constantly adaptable as well. And uh, how difficult is it to financially forecast, uh, given how much of your business is, you know, based in the hospitality industry? Uh, I was just chatting to some, literally an hour ago, chatting to some colleagues uh, in India on an event I'm going to be speaking at there um, and, and telling me how hard it's hit them over there. But, yeah, how, how do you financially forecast, given that we're, what, halfway through an, a second national lockdown here, traditionally got a big time of year coming up where people will be having office parties and parties with friends, eating and drinking out in restaurants. Uh, how are you managing it at the moment? It's, it's difficult you, you, because of the uncertainty that exists. Mm. And, in, 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 and you do your best to forecast. Uh, and again, you have to be constantly monitoring it and adjusting your forecasts as the picture changes. So suddenly you have a lockdown. Now, when we on the 2nd of December, uh, as president of CBI, the prime minister spoke at our conference at the beginning of this month, and he said categorically, this lockdown will end on the 2nd of December. Mm. But we hold him to his word. And it ends. What does it end into? Do we go into 
a different parts of the region going three at tier three or tier two or tier one. You know, we don't know that. That uncertainty is very much paramount and will continue until we have rapid mass antigen testing, which I've been pushing for and which is now being rolled out. The pilots start in Liverpool, now in 67 boroughs, where you can get an, uh, an antigen test with the results in 10 minutes. As soon as that's widely available, that will help us get back on firing on all cylinders. We have the vaccine, the good news, and the other vaccine, yeah. the Oxford's. Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, hopefully we'll get some good news soon. And others, no, there's Novavax and many others in Moderna that are at very final stages. So we'll have vaccines coming through. And of course, we've got treatments. I mean, the Prime Minister talks about is two boxing gloves to pummel the virus. Well, I have three. The third one is, of course, the, the therapeutics. We have, and the British companies are so phenomenal. We have the best innovative creative skills in this country. Our science is amazing. You know, Cambridge, Cambridge University has won more Nobel Prizes than any other university, more than any American university. One uh, percent of the world's population, we produce 16 percent of the world's leading research papers. Uh, so we have that ability. Dexamethasone, uh, a British drug that is a cheap, available drug that's been used, has been now used to reduce deaths, the sad deaths of critical patients in hospital by one third. Now, just now it's come out, there's an arthritis drug that, again, is a British drug, but tested by Swedish in Sweden just now, that proves that in elderly patients, this arthritis drug can actually reduce deaths by two-thirds. I mean, that's phenomenal. And now, side by side, there's a trial going on with interferon beta, which is a a drug that's used for diseases like multiple sclerosis that's injected using an inhaling form of beta interferon that's been trialed in Southampton that's shown to reduce deaths by 80%. Now, if we're going to get to the stage where we are stopping people from dying from this disease, that changes the whole dynamic again. Yeah. So it's three things, the, the mass testing, vaccines, and the therapeutics. So I'm very confident, the combination of these three things, we will be seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully by the spring of next year, and we can go firing on all cylinders. Now, I don't know then whether it's going to happen then, but I can try and forecast. When I sent, shipped the first container of Cobra beer from Bangalore in India, I sat down in those days in the brewery computer room. I mean, that's what days were like. Now that power of that computer room would be on my iPhone. Yeah, exactly. I sat in there and I, as, a, as a trained accountant, I could do spreadsheets and I sat and produced a Lotus 123, if you remember that, pre-Excel days, a Lotus yeah, yeah. spreadsheet. And I did a five-year forecast, month by month, container by container, of how much Cobra beer I would sell. And I'd never sold a bottle of beer in my life. Hmm. Still created a five-year forecast, and we beat that forecast. Amazing. And I, I know last time we spoke that you were really optimistic and it certainly sounds like you're still optimistic. So, uh, you know, given the last six months we've had since we last spoke, so that's, that is good to hear. Actually, another reason I'm optimistic is I always say the best way to predict the future is to look to the past. Mm. And if you just look at that window between July, August, September, and the GDP figures have just borne that out, when we were given the chance to start operating again, even with all that uncertainty and ambiguity, not firing on all cylinders, with social distancing in place, you know, we'd gone on from two meters to one meter in restaurants and pubs and bars. That made a huge difference. I mean, with yeah. one, you can get four times as many people in a space. 
but still, you still can't get as many. You can't fill a place. You can only do 70% capacity. Mm. Even then, we, we showed we could bounce back very quickly. So I know that when we got these three things in place and we, we are genuinely coming out of this, we're on top of the virus, um, we will be able to bounce back very quickly. And, and um, I've got some questions to, to ask you here from the audience. Um, just a, a quick question for you. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on the nighttime economy? Um, and where, where, how will it recover? Will it, will it ever recover? I mean, it'll have to eventually, but I personally know a lot of friends who uh, own nighttime establishments, own venues. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that and what could be done to, to help? Some people have obviously been hit harder than others. We, we get that, but in, any thoughts on that? They, they suffered a great deal, and, and, and there's no question about it. There's so many businesses have suffered, uh, catering business, uh, one of one of our top Indian restaurateurs it has the biggest uh, Indian Asian catering company, catering for events of thousands of people at a time, whether it's awards events or Asian weddings, huge events, zero business, zero yeah. business this year, completely. I mean, they, they've suffered hugely. And, and the support from the government has been phenomenal. You've got to give credit where it's due to Rishi Sunak, the chancellor. Yeah. The furlough scheme, 9 million jobs saved. Uh, the self-employed furlough scheme, 2.5 million jobs saved. Uh, and all the other measures, the bounce, 100% bounce back loans, over 1.2 million of them at an average value of 30,000, saving thousands of businesses and jobs. So, and I could go on. The, the reduction of VAT from 20% to 5%, the rates relief. I mean, there's a raft of measures where the government has tried to help business. On the other hand, they haven't been able to help everybody. Yeah. There are 3 million who call themselves the excluded who have not received any help at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, We've been pointing that out time after time, saying to the government, please try and help these people. But what the government is trying to do is to create this bridge from now until when we open up so that these businesses that were viable pre-March this year they were viable and through no fault of their own are now suffering. And they will be viable again if they can be able to be helped to survive. Then, when the economy bounces back next year, these businesses will reopen. And consumer confidence will come back. And people will go to nightclubs again. And people will be going out again. We are human beings. I mean, we, we're making the most of this technology now. Yeah, And we will make more use of this technology in the future that we were not before, but we will go back to face-to-face meetings. We will go back to the office and wanting to be with our colleagues. The youngsters have suffered so much during this pandemic, let alone the university students who missed out. They've started in university, a huge experience in your life, no fresh be, no being what about What about the youngsters at work? A lot of it is the mentoring and the that you get when you're face-to-face with people you're working, learning from them, being around them, they're missing out on all that. At Cobra Beer, we have an internship scheme that I've been running for years. I haven't been able to run an internship scheme in this environment. Mm. You know, we need to get that face-to-face back again and use this technology as well in the future. And if we can build that bridge and prevent long-term unemployment, because I've seen when I was a member of the National Employment Panel years ago, on my field visits, going to areas where I would we would meet families who had not worked for three generations. That is long-term unemployment we've got to try and avoid. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, Darren says, yeah, this is actually very upbeat and positive. Well done, uh, Karen, for that. Um, IAV, uh, 
Here we go. Yep. Uh, so Ivy says, question for Karen. What do you see as the line between B2C and B2B? There's a school of thought that the rigid adherence to B2B practices are more harmful than helpful, that it's better to consider yourself as B2C regardless of your business model. This is where we tend to sort of categorize um, uh, businesses or your B2B or your B2C. And there's an element of all businesses that are B2B and B2C. Mm. whichever way you look at it and, and look at my business uh, one part of my business is selling to hundreds of distributors and wholesalers well that's B2B yeah. but actually they're selling on to restaurants that's B2B but the restaurants are eventually selling to the consumer <laughs> see yeah. but for me my product is going through that route to market eventually I'm going B2C but I'm also doing B2B in, the, in, the, in, in, in between mm. so you, you've got to you've got to and each one is your customer, your very valued customer. Whether it's a B2C customer or a B2B customer, they are your customers. And that doesn't change. And the other thing that doesn't change is the brand. Whether you're a B2B business and B2C business, people think, oh, you know, it's only consumer brands like Cobra that need to worry about their brand. And every business, the brand is really, really valuable. As I said, whether you're a law firm or whether you're a firm of accountants, whether you're a university, or whether you're a consumer brand like us, the brand is so important. Um, question from Fred from the Selfish Spirits Company, who says, what was the most difficult part about setting up an alcohol brand in the UK? Was it challenging getting through all of that red tape? Surprisingly, if you compare with other countries, so for example, we've operated in India. Now, India, there's a huge amount of red tape, and it varies from one state to another. So wow. in one extreme, we'd have a state that has prohibition, uh, where you know you can be hit by regulation to the extreme, <laughs> you can't operate, and it's happened to me in India. Um, to different states having different regulations, so that is what real red tape and regulation is in the drinks industry, uh, and that is India as an example. Very high duties when you import into India. I mean, India is opening up. Believe you me, India is an emerging global economic superpower, and its liberalisation is taking place. Its reform agenda, labour laws have just been reformed. I mean, India is going places and is a big opportunity. And I would say for British businesses, think global and think of a country like India as a big opportunity to partner with. Mm. But here in the UK, we must never, ever take for granted the fact that we are one of the most open economies in the world. We are, although we're only 1% of the world's population, we are the sixth largest economy in the world. We are either the second or third largest recipient of inward investment in the world. I mean, you know, that's how powerful we are. And that's because we're an open economy. Now, the flip side of an open economy is huge competition. Yeah. And so when I started, you know, I just alluded to it, uh, that we had, it's against all the odds, uh, against huge, because anyone can have a go. There are no, very little barriers to entry, relatively little red tape. Yes, there is some, of course, in, a, in the alcohol industry. There has to be some, but relatively little. Anyone can have a go. I mean, anyone listening to this call now, you can go and start your own beer brand. There's thousands of, of microbreweries that have started up, craft breweries that have started mm -hmm. up. It's fantastic. I love it. But the flip side is lots of competition. It's a tough part. And you've got to beat your competition by having a product that's different and better. And by the way, you build your brand and your business in a, in a creative and innovative way. Thank you very much. Uh, Bernadette Saunders from Inside Out Drinks, uh, maybe this is the last question, uh, asks, if you were to set up 
Uh, if you were setting up brand new in 2020, bearing in mind COVID, would you have gone about anything differently? The fundamentals would be the same. What would be different is I would be able to take advantage of all the phenomenal support that there is for entrepreneurs now that didn't exist 30 years ago. And we've increasingly gone from being the sick man of Europe in the 80s to I've seen in front of my eyes as I've grown my brand how entrepreneurship in this country we're one of the most entrepreneurial countries in the world. I mean, London is one of the best cities in the world to have your global headquarters. And, and that entrepreneurship has just flourished in this country, which, which means there's huge support from government, whether it's a Labour government or whether it's a coalition of conservative liberal or whether it's a conservative government, they're all pro-entrepreneurship. They all want to support entrepreneurs. So we've got the government behind you trying to create the environment. You've got all the entrepreneur organizations. You've got events like this. You've got Global Entrepreneurship Week. Uh, all that didn't exist. And I would tap into that as much as I could. Finance-wise, you have things like crowdfunding that didn't exist. You've got all sorts of different forms of finance now uh, that you can use, which I didn't have then. So I would, I would go for all that. But on the other hand, by the way, I'm still starting things. Mm, I, I just yeah. launched my Malabar Blonde IPA because I found that the IPA boom that's taking part of this country, they're very nice and aromatic, but you struggle to drink them because they're too bitter. Mm. So I've created a, an IPA called Malabar that has the same ingredients as Cobra, except the hops are, are ale hops. I've got five hops, and I created with a top-fermenting ale yeast and traditional open vats in a craft brewery in Burtonwood. And we've created an IPA that's the most drinkable IPA in the world and goes well, the only IPA in the world that really goes well with all food. So I'm oh. starting as we speak. Innovation. There you go. Where, where, when will this be able to see the light of day? Because I've turned into an IPA, IPA drinker over the last couple of years, switched from lager to IPA like many people. So there, there are, there are, sorry, that's the reminder that I'm speaking in the House of Lords soon. Yeah. The, um, the, so, so this is available in 500 restaurants on draft only. So in, 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 in London, there are several top restaurants that are selling it and around the country. So look out for it, Malabar Blonde IPA on draft. Right, I'll Google it for Bournemouth and Paul. Right, um, thank you very much, Fred. It's a fascinating way of looking at it. Thank you, very interesting and inspiring. Um, thank you, Karen. Da, 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 da. I know you've got to go, um, but thank you so much for your time. It's always greatly appreciated. Um, I can see there are loads of people on here watching who've all got drinks brands, so it is spot on. So thank you, Karen, and um, good luck for the rest of the year. And all the best to all of you, and thank you very much. Great to be with you. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Bye-bye. So as I said earlier, uh, my pleasure and privilege to uh, host Karen for a third or fourth time, actually. I um, can't remember which, but um, second time on this show, uh, live episodes. And he never fails to disappoint. I think he's really uh, engaged storyteller. He really... He talks slower than I do, which is far better. I talk far too quickly, I think. He talks nice and slowly and in a measured tone, and you're drawn into what he's saying. Um, and he's got 30 years of knowledge of, of, you know, starting Cobra Beer, like he said, with one case of beer um, from India to over here. And I love the fact that the non-stop innovation that he's just launched uh, an IPA blonde beer 
uh, into 500 restaurants that, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, you know, resilience is key. You have to be able to, um, you're not going to have a successful business if you, you quit at the first attempt at any um, friction. It really is about being resilient and persevering and being determined. We know that, but guts, as you say, entrepreneurs have guts. I love the the armchair idea wallers that he says, the idea waller, those who have ideas from the armchair, but not, never actually get out of the armchair and put their plans into action. How many of us know people like that? We all know people like that, don't we? I know I do. Um, some idea will come out and they'll go, I, I thought of that before. And you're like, yeah. Difference being, they did something about it. You didn't. And about luck, determination meeting opportunity or hard work meeting opportunity. Um, you know, you have to be, have your ears and eyes open to recognize the opportunity when it comes. You can't just be busy being hardworking and determined. You, you have to be ready to acknowledge that or you're not going to see or hear that opportunity, but damn right, got to be determined for sure and hardworking. And how many businesses we know that have been born in a recession, hosted Alan Barrett on here and Juliet Barrett talking about Grenade coming out of the last recession a decade ago. And this Cobra beer was born out of the recession 30 years ago. So many examples of that. And so many successful businesses will come out of these times. So don't let a recession stop you from starting your business. You will always find a reason to not start the business if you're never going to start that business. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it no matter what. I said the same with my podcasting group, uh, Podpreneur, my Facebook group, saying if you, you know, all of you people have been joining in their hundreds to launch a podcast, if you didn't do it during the first lockdown and you haven't done it now during the second lockdown, when are you ever going to do it? A whole year has gone by where no matter who you are, you've had at some point more time at any one given moment that you had at any other time in your life. And yes, most of us have never been busier. I know I'm not. I am sorry. Never been busier than ever. But it's prioritizing that time that's key. So starting a business is a priority for you. You need to get out of the armchair and take that first step to action now. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this, with zero experience, zero knowledge, and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com where I've just launched for a limited number of people a brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my Ultimate Podcast Mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty-gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts the Podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook 
group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people. So once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.